Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Today's podcast sponsor is Spry Therapeutics. Spry is my favorite pillow that I use and love and is made with flow form technology that feels like vegan butter. It molds to your shape to help reduce stress in joints, It's perfect for post-yoga recovery or taking a pain-free nap. I use it for reading in bed and sleeping. And you, my listeners, can get 20% off by using the code LITFRIEND at sprytherapeutics.com. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns. So together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Wednesday Q&A. You ask the questions and we answer. I'm here with Kristen Williams, physical therapist and lit senior teacher, and we are going to answer your questions. Hey, Kristen. Hey, Laura. Let's do this. Let's do it. First one, right out of the gates, Kristen Kago Yoga. Neural pathway training is so much more efficient than just weight training. Can you explain why? Yeah, I'll start with that one. And again, bringing it back to the lit newsletter, when I'm always doing my research on writing my PT corner, I was just recently researching this and looking at all the literature that compares just regular weight training to more functional movements. So functional movements, which is what you're talking about, that neural pathway training tends to be you're moving in more functional movement patterns. So you're moving against gravity, body weight through planes of motion. And what they find is that is so much more efficient at working those smaller stabilizers that traditional weight training just doesn't get as well. When you do a traditional weight training exercise, you're doing traditionally open chain, meaning extremity is off the ground against a weight, let's say a barbell or a a weight machine. And you're just moving one muscle group or one group of muscles. You're not getting those smaller stabilizers that are in your core, which makes it more efficient in the fact that you're moving those, but you're also still getting the big movers. So you're getting more bang for your buck nine times out of 10. That's not to say that you don't need to lift weights. I mean, I don't think you necessarily need to lift weights, but you can lift weights. I just think there's a different goal in mind. Lifting weights, resistance training is really great in rehab if you're trying to equalize or normalize one side to the other. If you're trying to 
improve upon a noted deficit in a certain muscle group with a manual muscle test. Then we use an open chain because we can control it. We can work to restore strength to a specific muscle group. But we always, always, always in rehab transition from the open chain to the closed chain, which is including the neural pathway training, where you're moving more than one muscle group. You're learning, like we talk about in our YTT, yoga teacher training, it's mobility, stability, and you're now you're training adaptability, the ability of the body to do what you want, when you want, how you want it. It is Again, hands down, more bang for your buck. You're working more muscle groups and you're getting those proximal stabilizers, which are so huge in the long term. And I also think are underworked. So we're having to work the brain more because we aren't as trained. So we're also working our biggest muscle, which is our brain. Yeah. I love what your husband, Tim, who is so fit and you know he's a director of athletics. So he's obviously very into athletics, but he's primarily just been doing lit yoga for the past five years. And he was commenting about how people will look at him and say, you don't lift weights. And he would say, when you were asking him about that, I loved listening to his response. And he's like, no, I don't. I mean, and I feel like what I'm doing now in lit yoga is so much more effective and efficient. And it's like blasting everything. But essentially what he was saying is, yeah, when I used to lift weights, I'd go and you do back and buys. And that's like it for the day. And he said, it's not really well-rounded. And it also, he said, I'd be walking around really sore and sometimes injured. I was probably injuring myself. Versus if you're using body weight, if you're really pay attention to this proximal core muscles, there are so many muscles involved in movement. When we just go into like the hypertrophy, getting the muscle to build. And that's like the end goal of just focusing on one thing. And that's often, you know, again, maybe for show and some of it might be functional. You know, he said it so well, it's just so much more efficient and you don't need those weights. You're actually using your own body weight and you're getting into so much more and there's more balance. Yeah. That's what he definitely said. Remember he said it was, it's empowering because he would feel like he'd stand up straighter. Every time he does the lit yoga, he's like, I stand straighter. I move better. I'm in all areas, it's encompassing. It encompasses everything. No, that was because I'd never asked him that question, and he's actually been doing it. it. It'll be it'll be seven. No, when did I graduate? So yeah, it's six years, six years, right? That I've been. So he, <laughs> I made him come to my first class. Like, remember, I started teaching the five forty five class, and I was like, "You sir are coming because I'm going to have at least one person in my class." <laughs> my first, time. and he's never stopped. He he is absolutely religious, no longer lifts weights. If he does, it's more like just to go do it with Ben for fun. But And people can't believe how thick he still is and how strong he is with just lit yoga. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like it's also from a superficial standpoint, it also looks more balanced, right? It's not like, you know, because he's suctioned in more because he's held more into his core and then all these muscles in his arms and back, they, they just look great. So yeah, it's efficient in all the ways that we want. Okay, so the inspired yogini, how, what, what not to practice with when you have a broken, not freshly broken sacrum or coccyx? Mm. Well, I can start on that one simply yeah. because I have happened to have a very prominent coccyx. My husband calls it my monkey tail. I don't know why <laughs> my coccyx is just quite, quite big. 
so I have to be careful, you know, like how we love to do the rock and roll with some of our plyo stuff. I cannot do that because I will literally like get a scab. It'll, I just don't have much padding back there. So, and then even some of like boat pose, we don't do that much anyway, but I cannot, the bearing of the weight through, I mean, really your coccyx is not, shouldn't be weight bearing anyway. I mean, it's a, it's a floating fused kind of throwback to evolution. Yeah, it's vestigial. I mean, it is leftover. We have a few of those and that's one of them. Its main purpose is for the attachment of muscles and ligaments and fascia, but which is a significant. Yeah, weight bearing through it for most people is not going to feel good. And there are a lot of people out there with longer, you know, because that is a fused few of those lower spine vertebra that some people might have an extra one and that, that makes them have a longer tail and that would really feel not good. Yeah. No, and especially if you happen to just not be a big booty person, you know, I'm like your classic white girl, no butt. <laughs> you know, yeah. I finally got, I got a, finally got a butt doing yoga where I'm like, yes, uh, <laughs> but it's still, after you've broken it, it's not like we reset the coccyx. It can be tilted at a funny angle. So short-term, those donuts are wonderful. A donut is like a cushion that has the center cut out. You know, after you, coccyx fracture, so so painful. Coccyx issues are extremely painful because like you said, there are so many muscles attached there, pelvic floor ligaments. Um, you know, we, we use our coccyx as an anchoring. And so it's hard to let it rest. But, you know, the donuts are great. A couple, you can use extra padding, like two mats, and then just choose wisely. You know, don't do the rock and roll stuff. Don't do boat pose and be okay with that. Like who cares? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I don't agree. My boat doesn't look great. I don't care. Yeah. And we don't do a lot of those anyway, but I, it's funny because it brought back this flashback. I was ice skating with my kids when they were little and this, you know, one crazy kid just clocked me from the side and what's it called? Like T-boned so that my legs flew up and I landed right on my coccyx on the ice. And I thought I was like, I mean, I was in shock. It was so painful. And I was in pain for like a month. And I just, so I also can remember back to that time. Everything is connected to, it's like when you hurt your rib, you realize how there's so many attachments there, but same with the coccyx. So I would just say, yeah, modify and be okay with not hurting it. All right. Next question. Um, Ocello Yoga, I've never seen you teach Navasana. Why? So Navasana, if you're not familiar with yoga as much, it's essentially you're kind of, you start sitting on your butt and then you lean back with your torso and lift your legs up. So you're forming a V and then you can go lower than that and your arms are straight out. So essentially your legs are off the ground and your torso is off the ground and you're just balancing on your, really on your sacrum, maybe a little bit on the tailbone there. And the reason I don't really teach it, it's not bad. There's so many ways that people compensate. You know, anytime I think Kristen and I, a lot of physical therapists or just movement specialists will look at something and you think if there's a better way of doing this without the many potential compensations, I'm going to choose that other way. It just, that just makes sense, right? Why would I do something where there's a lot of compensations that can come in when I can do it a lot more effectively. So that's one reason I don't teach Navasana is quite frankly, most people cannot perform it in the way that would be the most beneficial, which is with an extended neutral spine. Your pelvis is neutral. You're not 
posterior tilting or anteriorly tilting. You're recruiting your deep transverse, which are hard to recruit in that position well if you're not used to it. And yes, you've got hip flexors going, but they're not, they're kind of performing just enough to hold you. That's hard to do. And really, I just think there's so many other ways of recruiting the iliopsoas, the all the abdominal wall muscles without the potential load on your back, strain on your strain on the hip flexors, because what'll happen is people will tip a little bit in the anterior tilt and then just use those hip flexors like crazy to try and hold their boat. So I just think there's other ways of doing it, which we do in lit yoga. And that's the main reason. It's not to me, I don't look at that as like the highest example of the hardest use of your abdominals. I think our abdominal work is actually way harder with smaller movement. And this kind of goes back into that neural firing. It's like you're really using more of those superficial muscles when you have such a long lever arm with the legs and the torso. And it's harder for those stabilizers to kick in if you aren't used to using them. What would you say? Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. I have one flow that I have it in. And when I do it, it's more like a Russian twist where it's not even a boat pose. We're in that same type of position, but the knees are dramatically bent. So there's no hamstring pull. You're able to completely lift up and then we're rotating and through a small range of motion. And it's really more for fun because it's just fun. People fall all over. Like we kind of giggle because it is so hard to do. Like I like to put moves in occasionally to my flows that are challenging and fun and make people laugh. And honestly, that's one of them. And I don't even call it a boat pose. I'll be like, we're coming into a modified boat to do a Russian twist. And it's in literally one class. It's a core class that I teach because I'm one of those people that I can't do traditional boat well. I don't have the hamstring flexibility. I cannot straighten my legs. So it's absolutely going to go into my low back if I'm trying to look like the picture on Instagram. And that is the, the vast majority. So we don't teach it for that reason. It's not a regular part of our practice for that reason alone. It's just that most people can't do it. Going back to our last podcast, talking about setting people up for success. You know, Why give a pose that most people cannot do well, cannot do safely? Now you can modify it. That's why you know there are some poses that I still teach that you don't, but I modify them and to make it where everyone can do it safely and I have my eyes on them. And, you know, as soon as I see the back start to round, even that, you know, modified boat going right over, like, nope, bend your knees more, lift up. Because it's hard. It's mm-hmm. super hard. But yeah. Yeah. And I'm not holding it for hours on end or doing like the lowering stuff because most people they end up pulling on their back and not benefiting, like you said, go do a juicer if you want to really work your abs. You know, yeah, <laughs> don't, mess don't mess around with both. You don't know what a juicer is, just go take our classes and you'll they'll be in there, but it really juices you. And yeah, and I was gonna say the other thing is sometimes I know in a couple of my teacher or at least one of my teacher training flows, we are doing what I would consider a modified boat. I just call it like hanging on the beach because your elbows are down and you're getting that extended spine. So you've taken the load of your torso off and that pull on the hamstrings and the pelvis. And then you can move the legs. So you can add the movement of the legs as a form of resistance, but you have so much more control over the core. So yeah, I think with everything, it's like, what's the purpose? That's what I really come back to. And the purpose, by the way, can be fun. That's fine. If you think boat is really fun, hey, 
<laughs> go for it. But I don't think that's the main reason people are doing it. You know, doing something different, like I do those little twists too. And I don't even think of it as being a boat almost because it's not, it's so different than the boat, but you can change it up. Just think what's the purpose of any of these poses of the transitions. You know, like I think a much more kind of valuable example of that would have almost a boat-like aspect to it is we do in one of my teacher training flows in the upper and lower extremities where we lift up and touch like we literally sit up and touch like one foot as we kick it and with the hand and we come back down because you're going to need to be able to get up off the ground for many many years I'm hoping and that to me is is a functional way of using the similar type muscles that you use in boat all right Next question. I'm Maja Zim. I'm struggling to activate glute of my back leg and twisted crescent due to anterior tilt. How to modify? I feel like we answered that one before. Yes. I would say, yeah, use a block. You know, yeah, um, use a block. Yes. Under, yes. Yeah, yes. the block underneath that lower hand. Mm-hmm. Use a block. Put your hand on your glute. Keep nudging it. That's what we do a lot of is reinforcement and different ways of stimulating through our hands, through our vision, through our brain, like thinking about it, think about that glute. Think about it, hold it strong. Think about whatever verb you want to use, gripping, firming, holding, activating, and then put your, you know, tap it and get some feedback so that, and think less about the turning in a twisted crescent and more about holding the spine long and rotating around the axis. So imagine you're just kind of sitting on the spine and that you just turn the ribs like a handlebar. You in the center don't change. So I think that's the big thing a lot of people do is they do something in their ribs where they flex, they just overly turn, and then they do it to do that much movement in the rib cage. Often they'll let the the anterior tilt to the pelvis increase and the glute go. This is another question, not a physical therapy necessarily. Kirsten PM. What are the best things to do when my motivation to move is zero in time of grief and sadness? Uh, you know, I think you have to be kind to yourself, especially in times of grief and sadness. Some people find joy from movement. Some people just don't. I would start simple, a walk. You know, get outside, let sun do its wonders, you know, let nature do its wonders, let noise so whether it's the you know the, the sound of the wind in the trees or the beach the ocean just let something be simple and be with yourself as opposed to thinking that you should be doing anything especially during those times and i feel the same way you know about not just sadness and sorrow but illness and injury you know be okay that there are going to be times in your life where you're not going to want to to do what you think you should. A lot of times our body is telling us stuff. And that being said, exercise is a wonderful stimulant and does help to, I think, give us a little pep in our heart. I mean, Laura, you can speak to this much more directly, you know, having experienced a large loss in your life, you know, how you either used exercise as your antidepressant or maybe used other things nature and walking. And we've had many conversations about this. Why don't you, I'm going to pass this baton to you. Yeah, I would say with grief, 
you, I, I think you have to just be so tender. It's like I look at movement as the kind of baked good for everything. And there's a lot of ingredients that go into it. And then the, what comes out is based really on what we need. And what we do need is we need health and wellness in our physical and mental and emotional state. And so for most of the time, that's my primary goal is to keep myself healthy, you know, feeling good, keep my joints supple, my mind clear, my heart really taken care of all of that. So that's most of the time. But when you have that feeling of motivation zero because of grief, for instance, like I, Kristen was saying, like with my dad, like I just looked at like tenderizing my heart. What did I need then? And I wasn't really thinking of exercise or movement. I was just thinking of like feeling, surviving, (laughs) you know, just surviving it. So yeah, I took walks in the woods. And then I think about the third or fourth day after my dad died, I got on my mat and I actually knew that getting on my mat would be so hard, not from a movement, but from an emotional standpoint. Because that's also when I think we clear and process stuff. So don't be afraid of that, but be be okay if you're not yet ready for that either. I think coming before then, not only physically, what I have not been able to really practice a lot, I think I just would have been so emotionally, I would have been like just a crashing wave. I don't think I could have handled the emotional component of it. So walking in the woods, I could walk, I could talk to my brothers, spend time with others. That really helps. And spend time with yourself too. At some point, I think that when your motivation is zero and you've moved through the feelings, you have to make a commitment to just start to practice in whatever form that is. So for me, being on the mat is everyday practice, but I did have not a lot of motivation. I don't even say motivation. I just didn't have the tenacity. I didn't have, I just didn't have it in me until about the third or fourth day after my dad died. And then I just got on there and it really felt beautiful and sorrowful and mourning and all of it, but it felt needed. So I guess just know what your heart needs and it might just need rest. It might need a walk in the woods. It might need a good cry, a big scream, but movement is going to help those emotions not get just stuck in one place. And it doesn't mean they're going to go away, but at least if you get them moving, they're not as heavy. So that's my best advice. It's hard, but the movement can help. I can't imagine. And I also connect the movement with the grief too, because my dad loved to watch me practice. It's almost a ceremony of many parts. So yeah, good luck, honey. Just know that you're not alone and that this has been something I think people have used since civilization. You know, I talk about this in my fire classes. You come together and it is a ceremony of sorts, movement. And so you can make it be a ceremony honoring what you are feeling, but also allowing just the process of the ceremony to help you get more motivated, to help you feel a little bit more inspired. All right. Well, let's end on one more fun (laughs) yoga question or physical therapy question. 
Ellen Boder, what do we want rectus abdominis doing during the reset ab work? I mean, rectus abdominis, its function is to flex the spine. So, I mean, it is going to work in our reset every time we exhale to curl up. It's not that we don't want rectus abdominis to work, but we want it to work for my reset. It's much more isometric. So it curls you up concentrically. It holds you in that curl isometrically. And then the other guy's got to kick on for the rest of our reset. And then it lowers you down eccentrically. So, you know, you're going to get your six-pack abs. You know, that's, that's your six-pack with our workout. But it's your mover. So it moves your spine. We want the obliques also move. It's the transversus that we're trying to get down to, which is our stabilizer. But you kind of have to go through the layers. You have to peel your way down. You have to work the rectus, then the obliques to get down to your transversus in a lot of ways. So every time you flex your spine in any type of way, you're using your rectus abdominis. And every time you lower back down, it's working to control that motion. So that is what I think of it as. It's a mover. It's not our stabilizer. Yeah, so I, I'm going to add to that. I agree with that, but I, I also look at it a little differently. We talk about muscles because that helps us understand what's happening in the body. You know, we are just, if you really look at muscles, they're diff- it's different than fascia, but muscles are just, we just have named them groups based on their attachments and their origin and what they are doing at a joint. Um, even though there are other, there are other muscles that do the same thing, but it just really helps us differentiate. But when we have traditionally talked about abdominals, like in the fitness world, they talk about upper abdominals and lower abdominals. And I really like to think of all of the abdominals working as a team. And so to Kristen's point, yeah, anytime you flex your spine, if you're going to do an abdominal workout, your rectus is going to work, but we have to have the underlying stabilizers stabilizing closer to the skeleton to be effective with that movement, to get that stabilization. Because we're not just doing abs to get pretty abs. We're really doing it to initiate and activate the core muscles in the center of our body right early on so that they're turned on for our bigger movement patterns. So Just think of all of that. What I often think of in my own abdominals is if I were to go in my brain and picture the muscles around the lower spine between the two frontal pelvic points back into the sacrum, and I just draw that together. I often call that the diamond, drawing the diamond together and then down. So it's not just a suck your belly in. And the rectus is part of that because it's the top layer. So it is working. Now, one thing you might be thinking about is when people get up in their abdominals and you see that doming of the rectus. And that is happening because the rectus is trying to work and there's no stabilization happening. It's like if this all of this diamond pulling together isn't helping, so just the top part of the diamond pops out. You need everything to draw in to a form of a contraction and to help the movement. That's why we don't go up really high in our abdominal work, because if we went up higher, we would have to turn on the rectus even more to get that flex spine. And what we want is just enough of it to help us get off the ground and then those stabilizers to help us stay there really well. So 
I'm only mentioning all this because we talk about muscles, but muscles really, we don't want muscles working in isolation. We want them working collaboratively like a team, but the team players that most people need to get playing well are the stabilizers. Yeah, no, that's perfectly said. I really think, oh, I'm using my rectus. Now I'm using my obliques. It's like yeah. I'm using my abdominals. I'm using yes, them all. Exactly. And I think that's why we we really speak to abdominals and core. And I'll often say core and I'm like, wait, there's a lot of core. So I'll try and say anterior core, your core abdominals or something. Because again, I don't want to confuse people, but I really, they all are part of the team. And we do selectively talk about some of the muscles in an isolated way, specifically if they're, you know, underperforming like gluteus medius or glute max, we might like talk about them a lot, but they're, they're working in conjunction with a lot of stuff. (laughs) That's why the reset is so freaking important because what you're doing is you're establishing your neutral pelvis and spine and getting all those players ready for bigger movement. I think you're also warming the body up. That's why we don't heat our rooms. We're using those to warm the body up and you use them all together. It's like, woo! Yeah, once you do that first set of abs, people's shirts just come right off, right? I know, it's like, people say, I've never sweated so much in my life. And it's because you're, yeah, you're warming the body from the inside out, which is so powerful. So these are wonderful questions. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kristen. You're welcome. Thank you, Laura. Love you, honey. And to all of you out there, we are pulling for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.